tak. Ja tak, tak zametám. <laughs> yes, it is zametám. Oh, this morning. So, I'm quite excited about the word I've got to share this morning, and I feel like I might have to share it again next week. <laughs> I think because it's something so key for us as a congregation. I think it's something so key for us in the season we're in and the time we're in, the, 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 what lies ahead of us and what, li- what lies behind us as well. And um, so as I share, this is really just, I feel like God giving us direction um, into the new season and into the next season. And he's spoken to me out of a bit of scripture, and I just, I love it. It's just, oh, the scriptures, scriptures are so rich. I feel like God's really been giving me some revelation in these things. But so maybe just listen to me very carefully before I, I share what I'm going to share. You know, sometimes, like, sometimes what we say, how do I say this now? Sometimes what I say, I just want to be balanced. I want you guys to know that, like, I'm, I'm speaking a little bit about the presence of the Lord and about moving on from those and from that area. And what I say is, my heart, me, I love the presence of God. I love the presence of God. It's all about the presence of God. And I think we're a congregation, it was prophesied over us that we would be a people hungry for the presence of God, and the presence of God would be found here as well. And I don't want that to change in any way. So what I'm sharing this morning is, is a yes and. So when I say move away from, I don't mean move away from it. You see that sometimes in Scripture, there's this, we try and wrestle and understand this chronological understanding of things, but, but the Scripture says this, and it says that sometimes, and sometimes they both apply. So I want to just let you all know that I love the presence of the Lord, I want the presence of the Lord, I want that for our congregation, and we are people that are hungry for the presence of the Lord, and we will never stop being hungry for the presence of the Lord. <laughs> you understand that? All right, this is my disclaimer. <laughs> so um, let's have a look maybe just at uh, Matthew 17. Um, this is the scripture I want to share out of this morning, and I want to read it. Um, I've got the ESV version. So this scripture, just a bit of context in this, it's also known as the Transfiguration, and um, it appears three times in the Gospels, um, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it is the story of Jesus going onto the mountain with um, Peter, James, and John, and we'll read a little bit about it now. But just some context of it, it is after Jesus feeds the 5,000, after he feeds the 4,000, um, and quite soon before he goes to die on the cross, actually, um, this happens. And um, I think it's very important just to have a bit of context of, of, of what we're reading as well. So I'm going to read Matthew, and then I'll just paraphrase a little bit from Mark, and then the, all the accounts are pretty similar. So we don't need to go through all of them. I'm reading from the ESV version, and I think that's also what's on the board. eh? So this is it, Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and his brother, sorry, John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And Jesus said to Je- and Peter said to Jesus, "Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, and one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah." He was still speaking when 
Behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Underline that. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Arise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes and saw no one but Jesus, and they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone of the vision they had seen. And I'm going to end over there because I want to focus a little bit on this portion of Scripture and what I feel God is saying to us through this and as a congregation. And there are many different commentaries. You can read many different things into it, but I feel what God is saying to us as a congregation now through this Scripture is really what I want to share with us this morning. So I don't know if you guys have ever wondered, I've wondered, why Elijah and Moses were the chosen two that got to appear with Jesus on the mountain there? Have you ever thought of that? You ever wondered that? You can go read commentaries and like, what's it about? And I actually, uh, towards the end of last year, we had the privilege of being in Israel, and we were actually there on the Mount of Transfiguration, and uh, got to stand what 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 they believe to be the Mount of Transfiguration is, and got to stand there and just got to meditate a little bit on this, and I felt like God began to unpack things to me there already on on the subject, and. Um, so have you guys wondered, why Elijah, why Moses? I know, okay, like I said, I have. So Moses represents the law. What you read throughout the Bible, Moses is the lawgiver, okay? He, um, yeah, he was the one that Jesus or God gave the Ten Commandments to. He brought the law. He led the people. He was, and it's called the Mosaic Law, actually. He, was the per- he, he represents the law in a sense. And Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and he brought a lot of reform. You actually see a lot of a parallel in him with Jesus' ministry as well, and Elijah represents the prophets. Now you have the law, which is Moses, and you have Elijah, which is the prophets, and you have Jesus standing, the three of them standing there together. And what this does is it actually brings the comparison. What does it do? It begins to show how Moses and Elijah actually failed in doing what Jesus came to do. And can you, like, can you imagine this now? They know they failed. They're sitting in heaven now. They know they failed. They, they know that it couldn't be accomplished. We know that salvation cannot be accomplished through the law. It's impossible. Eli- Moses knew this too. He's sitting now in heaven, know, knows this. And he comes to Jesus with Elijah, and can you imagine that conversation between them? Because that Jesus is going to the cross from this place. They know that, that the fate of humanity and its salvation rests on Jesus' shoulders in this moment. That I can imagine what they were saying. He's like, Jesus, you, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't mess this up. <laughs> I don't think they said that, but you, like they came to encourage him. They came to say, come and fulfill that which we didn't do and which we couldn't do. They, come, they say they come, they come and speak to him about actually what he was to fulfill and what he was to do. And um, you see, Moses, let's, let's look at it like this. Moses, a lawgiver, 
was forbidden to enter into the promised land because of the assumption he made by striking the rock. It was actually just disobedience. But I think there's more than just disobedience or punishment that he didn't enter into the promised land. I think God knew what he was doing. He was drawing a picture, a massive scheme of things. He was drawing this beautiful picture of us. And going, that's not the reason. Is he can't possess that which you've given because it, the law will never fulfill that. And Moses represents the law. So God knows exactly what, what he's doing in this picture. And Moses dies on this side of the Jordan. He doesn't get to cross the Jordan into the promised land. Now we go and look at Elijah. And it's the same with Elijah. You see, Elijah represents the prophets. He speaks against Israel, speaks against kings. He tries to bring reformation and a change in direction to the people of Israel. Now and again he gets it right, but overall he doesn't get it right because he fails. The prophets fail. But in every situation, the law and the prophets, they're pointing towards Jesus. Everything. In absolutely everything. And I want to show you even just through these pictures and these, these parallels about how significant these things are, and they all point towards Jesus. And I'm going somewhere with this. You'll see I'm, I'm setting a bit of a, a, a foundation for what I feel, because really what I feel God, what God is telling us to do is just one thing. But when you understand the bigger scheme of things, you understand the relevance of how it fits in, it becomes a bit mind-blowing. It's like, oh, my goodness. So Elijah is, represents the prophets, and, and again, we know the story about when Elijah comes to the end of his life. What happens? He has a, a complete. So, yeah, he has a, 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 um, a, a not a protege, right hand man, Elisha. What does he do? He goes over the Jordan again. If you guys have ever seen any similarities here, he crosses over the Jordan out of the Promised Land. And actually, I've been, I've been there. It's actually the same place Jesus gets baptized. It's the same place that the Israelites enter into the Promised Land. There's a lot of significance about that place. He crosses over the Jordan, and he gets taken up into heaven on the other side of the Jordan. Again, this picture of him not inheriting and not being able to fulfill that which Jesus does. You see that? Because the Promised Land is a, is a picture of God's presence. It's a picture of the kingdom. And these two failures, in a sense, cannot end in there. Their life ends on the side of the Jordan. But interestingly enough, and both of these two men have right-hand men, have people to come after them. And um, Moses has Joshua. And what does Joshua do? Joshua takes them across the promised land, into the promised land. He takes them across the Jordan into the promised land. He does. He goes. He manages to possess that which God has given him as they begin to possess the inheritance. In a sense, Joshua actually does greater than what Moses did. Because the point of the whole journey was to get to the promised land, and Moses never got to get the people into the promised land. Joshua is the one that gets to enjoy that, and he takes them into the promised land, and they possess that which God has given them. So you see, there's something of the latter that is even greater than the former, in a sense. There is, there is something of Joshua fulfilling that which Moses didn't do. You see where we're beginning to go with this. Now, Elijah has Elisha. And Elisha is a very eager man. He loves the Lord and he's like, 
And he says to Elijah, knowing that Elijah is about to die or about to get taken into heaven, he perceives that his time is near. And he says to Elijah, he says to him, when you depart, can I have a double anointing? I think there's a significance in that. There is a rele- there's something relevant there. There is more than what Elijah's got. Elisha gets given. And Elijah's, Elijah says to Elisha, yes, you can. If you see me, be, if you see me depart, you will, receive what I, you will receive a double anointing. And for me, that's a picture of a, of a double anointing, a greater than. And what happens? His cloak falls to the ground when Elijah gets taken into heaven. Elijah picks it up, he rolls it up, he walks back to the, Elisha walks back to the Jordan, strikes the Jordan, and parts and goes back into the, into the promised land. To that which is, so there's, that, there's this picture of, in a sense, Elisha has also got more. He's given more. This is double. And there's a whole other preach there. I've, I've been having a look at the similarities between Elijah and Elisha and Jesus' ministry. It's just crazy. I said just... I was talking to the elders earlier, and I was like, it's crazy. Jesus turns, first miracle he does, he turns water into wine. What's the first miracle Elisha does? He turns bitter water to to sweet. It's like, is this one, almost this one up every time. It's like, Elisha, remember I preached about a little while ago, Elisha and the outpouring of the Spirit and the giving of the Spirit. The, The Shemanite woman and Elisha, tells her to bring the jars and he gives her the oil and gives her the oil and gives her the oil and when they stop bringing the jars, the oil dries up. That was under, under Elisha's co- command. What does Jesus do? He gives us the Spirit. He gives us the oil which represents the Spirit. And is it outflowing of it? Like, I, I was beginning to look at these things and it's like, oh my goodness, it's crazy. It, Elisha, Elisha's bones. How's this crazy story? And I wondered why this is actually even in the Bible. I was just like, well, that's a pretty cool story. But so I think it was in Kings somewhere. They, something happens. That's, I'm paraphrasing badly. I can't remember. I actually read it. But that's not the crux of it. Anyway, somebody falls into Elisha's grave. They touch dead. Okay, guy gets killed, falls into Elisha's grave, and touches bones and comes back to life. Interesting, eh? Through Elisha's death, life still came. Jesus dies on the cross. We have eternal life. Elisha, what does he do? He purifies the stew. The stew had poison in it. It was like, like I don't know what, something was going on with the prophets and he tells them, go do this, and he brings health to the stew. Now they can eat this poison. What does Jesus do? He purifies us. He allows us, actually, in the new covenant, is it you know the, 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 the story about the, the cloak that comes down with the food, with the, all the different unclean animals in it? Jesus says you can eat everything I've created. See, it's just this crazy pictures. I'm like, going, oh my goodness, there's so much here, but that's not even really what I want to preach about. <laughs> it's just like, God, this is crazy. There's just so much. Everything points to Jesus. Absolutely everything. Every little, it's crazy. The smallest things that you think are actually insignificant, somewhere, somehow, through the Spirit, he'll, allow, he'll highlight it to you. And he said, actually, that's a reflection of Jesus, to come and fulfill. And now the whole point of what I'm sharing with you is to show you that Jesus came and he fulfilled. 
oh, there's more stuff. Like, there's, there's one. Just, I get excited. It's like, a, uh, it's too much. I don't want to give too much stuff. Yeah. But then what happens? Who's the third person there? We've got Moses, we've got Elijah, and Jesus. And what does Jesus say in John 14, 12? Put that up there. Now, Jesus, bearing in mind, Jesus is the one who succeeds. He is the one that has come and he's brought the presence of God. He enabled us to enter into the presence of God. He's brought redemption. This is Jesus. Okay? Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Do you see the pic? You see the, the pattern. There is follow-on from Jesus as well. It's us. By Spirit, He's enabled us to do that which He was doing and even greater. Like a picture of Joshua, in a sense, possessing. But now Jesus succeeds. It's not like He failed. He succeeds. And now He says, go and do even more. Go into the world and do. There's an instruction in Luke, we spoke about it that came up in the elders' meeting. Well, there's this, in Luke 4, it says, I've anointed you to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And that's spoken over Jesus, and Christians mean little Christ, the little anointed one. We've been anointed to do these things. But now, <laughs> Peter is there, and he doesn't know what to say. I watch, if you read a couple of the different, the, the, in Mark it says, where does it say this? I'll read it to you. In, in the version in Mark it says this, for he did, know, he did not know what to say. So I can imagine, he's a little bit nervous now, sees what's going on, it's incredible, hectic. And um, he's like, Okay, well, here's a good idea. Lord, let's make a tent for you. Let's make a tent or a booth for Moses, and let's make a booth or a tent for Elijah. And I think what he was doing here was actually saying, you see, now remember that he was Jewish, eh? And in his eyes, actually, Moses was the law bringer. Elijah was the prophet. These were like the, the big hitters for the, him in his Jewish thinking. They were like, Moses was the law, like this was hectic stuff. And he's realizing the glory of God because he gets to witness the glory of God. They get to see Jesus transfigured. They get to see him in his, his, his resurrected body. They get to see the, the, the glory of God. And they're like, goodness me, this is amazing. We want to see this. And they're like, okay, maybe if we get Elijah and Moses to stay, like this glory will stay here. And as he says, as he's saying that, what happens? A cloud appears or comes, they, they get lost in this mist, this cloud. And a voice comes out the cloud and the cloud said, this is my beloved son who I am well, who in I am well pleased. Listen to him. What God, God actually rebukes them, rebukes him in that moment. He's like, no, stop it. Stop doing what you want to do. Listen to my son. What he's actually doing, he's, Lifting up Jesus, he's lift God, he's lifting, he's recognizing Jesus as his son. In a, in a, like, 
a very physical, very, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? A tangible way. They can see it. They can experience it. God's lifting up Jesus and he's saying, this is my son, not Moses, not Elijah. This is my son. Listen to him. He's reaffirming the authority of Jesus. He's reaffirming him as the one who's come to succeed, the one who's brought redemption. Then he says, listen to him. And they drop down on the ground in fear. And what does Jesus do? He comes. And he taps on Peter's shoulder. And he says to him, arise. Do not fear. Arise. Do not fear. And they set off and they go down the mountain. And there is something for me in this. That I, there is a thinking here that I, I, I believe that, that Peter and them had that God comes to confront in a sense. He, as he raises up Jesus, he's transferring that authority now to Jesus and he says, follow Jesus. And Jesus is going, arise and come. And the interesting thing for me, Jesus left that to go to the cross. Jesus left that glory, that presence, that, that heavenly experience to go to the cross. And he says, and at the end of their conversation, right at the bottom, he says it again. He says, follow me. And I just, I felt like God is doing this. He's saying, follow me. Don't camp. Now, again, remember what I said at the beginning. Don't camp necessarily where the glory cloud is or the presence is. Because when you understand the presence of Jesus, when you understand our God, where he is, is his presence. And Jesus was leaving. We need to, we need to stop the old way of thinking, in a sense. Stop the old way of the law and the prophets and what did work in the past or what it used to look like, what we're even expecting. Stop camping there and begin to move and focus outwards. There's a change and a shift in focus that is coming for us as a congregation. And this is what God is doing. And I, we shared about it on the last day of the year. Two weeks ago, we did that little Bible study on John 21 with talking about feeding his sheep. If you want to love Jesus, what do you do? Hello? It's true. If you want to love Jesus, feed his sheep. And he says this three times. It's obviously important. There, and it began there. There's the shift. God is doing this. And it will take a while for it to actually sink in and become revelation and for us to actually begin to look outwards. But there's something of God is doing this in our hearts. He's, he's saying, guys, yes, it's cool here. Yes, your friends are here. Yes, my presence is here. But begin to look outwards. Begin to look out. Don't camp. And I, we are going into a, an interesting year. We've got a lot ahead of us as a congregation. We've got some exciting things happening. <laughs> Amen, yeah. And I'll share that just now about that. You see, we look at Joshua, and I've, also, I've heard this preach, and I do love this, is, is Joshua, we talk about that, that scripture when he, he's found in the tent of meeting, and he lingers there, and he hangs there, and Moses goes out, and Joshua stays behind because he loves the presence of the Lord. And I, I, wanted, I, I like 
I think that correlates to us in an individual and in a personal level, is we find God and we hang in his presence. Yeah, but, Mo, but Joshua corporately leads the people. He moves with them. He doesn't encamp at one place. He actually moves them out. And there's just, for me, again, there's that correlation of our individual relationship with God. We, you know, we need to have those times of presence. But the point isn't always the moment. The moment enables the mission. You understand what I'm saying? So those moments with God, those moments in His presence, enable us to do that which He's called us to do. And um, as an example, we were, also, we were chatting about it earlier, and I, I don't know if you guys remember in, in about the early 90s, I was chatting with Jeff about it, he was, he was actually part of that. Um, there was a movement going around called the Toronto Blessing. I don't know if some of you guys have been saved for a long time, might know that. It was a massive outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Um, started in, in, in Canada at the airport church in Ontario, actually. And uh, interestingly enough for me, that's again very interesting because it's an airport church. It's like God does something with a purpose. He pours out His Spirit with a purpose. And I don't want to be a people that just gets stuck at that airport. We've got to move. We've got to go out. There's a purpose that the Spirit gets poured out. In th- it was called the renewal, actually. That Toronto blessing, it was a renewal of the Spirit. There was a, something that we hadn't seen for a m- long time. We hadn't seen the Spirit move like that in ages. And I think we still, the, the Holy Spirit, is still. we still have that. I was thinking earlier during the prayer meeting, I was like, you know, we pray for revival, and we want to see revival, but, you know, I think we're in a revival. I think we're in a revival. I think our mind of what a revival is is defined by what's happened in the past. I, we're definitely in a church revival. I think we're seeing something of church, New Testament church changing. And I was like, it's a little different, but I think we're there, actually. There, the Spirit is there. It's us now that need to go out and actually do as the Spirit leads us, as the Spirit empowers us. You see, that, that thing, and often things that are birthed in the Spirit end in flesh. I think I've said this before many times, but you see things that are God ideas, like man tries to hang on to them and he tries to bottle it up and he tries to put it into a formula and it ends in flesh. We've seen that in many different walks, or, or many different areas in the church. And I think that's the something, when the Spirit births something within us, I think we need to go with it. We need to be led by the Spirit. Because if we don't, I think we're going we're gonna to try and box it in. We're going to try and make this the amphitheater for the Spirit and people are going to come here yeah, and maybe not. Maybe the Spirit is filling us so we can go out. <laughs> and I, what I'm doing and what I believe God is doing is, is, again, the point of this is to see that Jesus fulfilled, gave us the Spirit, enabled us to look outwards. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's not about I. That is the God. And I say it every time. I find myself saying this every time I preach. And I think it's because what's worked its way into the church. The gospel of the day is I, is me. It's been preached in church. 
The God of this age is that which is inward focused, is my self-importance, self-empowerment, where I can find the presence. No, that's not the gospel. The true gospel is one that's focused outwards to the lost and to the broken. It's to seeing the kingdom built. And I, I, I'm, I'm worried. I'm, I'm worried for the church today because I see that in the church. Let us not become a church like that. I will, I will not preach that. If I'm going to lead this church, I'm not going to let you guys keep on focusing in here. As uncomfortable as it is, if we, do, if we stay this southward, if so what? <laughs> I will not cave. I will not give in to the God of this age and make it about us. It's about Jesus. It's about the kingdom. And I promise you, the more, the closer we get to the end, the more we're going to see of this, the more we're going to begin to look weird. We're starting to look weird already. This isn't in my notes. But persecution is coming. Our friends that don't know Jesus look at us like we're weird. They think we're cult friends that are in church, that aren't in the same, on the same page necessarily as us, begin to think we look weird. All sorts of persecution, like persecution against us, persecution against the church, the gospel, the true gospel. It's, I mean, it's, it's here. We're seeing it already. We're not free to preach the gospel the way it should be preached anymore. We've got to be very careful the way we do things. And we are going to begin to look very weird because we're going to hold the line. We're going to hold the line. When I look at, and I'm not preaching against churches or any, but like the body, the, the bride is sick. And when I look out there and I look what's being preached and I look what's happening, it's scary. For 2,000 years, the same thing has been preached. Now all of a sudden the church is deciding to change it a little bit. I'm, we're not going to be those guys. Big guys, big hitters are changing their theology. Ah, maybe it's a little bit this, maybe it's a little bit that. No, it's not. Sorry. <laughs> you know, and if it's the very first preach of the year, it's the very first meeting of the year, let this set us on a course for the year. A one of non-compromise, one of outward focus, one of being excited to see the kingdom grow, taking ground for the kingdom. We want to see the kingdom come. We want to see the Holy Spirit move. See, there are two things out of this. There's a truth and there's a lesson. And I think the truth is that Jesus has ordered us out to do the works he was doing and more. He says, rise. Rise. Do not fear. That's the truth. He says it. And the lesson is this. Is maybe, as I've been sharing, as I've been preaching, that the Holy Spirit has been just ministering to your heart. He's been just 
putting his finger on things. And the lesson is this, that maybe we as individuals have camped in areas and Jesus is saying, rise, come. And I think that's, that is what God is saying. And I think, and I want to bring it to an application in this congregation. I'm excited about this here. I'm very excited. There's so much is on the cards for us. It's got to be in the Spirit and it's got to be the Lord. But a little, a little congregation down in the southern suburbs, God's got a plan and a purpose. Amen. And one of the reasons, one of the things we're feeling for the beginning of this year already is towards the end of February, we're going to start summing up in, in Musenberg. Sure. So, I'm not saying we're planting a church yet. Might get there. But, you guys need to be aware of what's happening. You need to begin to tr transition your thinking, the outward thought. Because we can't be successful there if this doesn't happen. Now, this is for you guys. We were talk I was talking about this earlier. I was like, you know, we, we want to bring people church, we want to invite our friends to church, and sometimes we get despondent, we invite somebody and they don't, they don't respond, they don't come. And, uh, and then we give up, and we wait a couple of months until maybe the Holy Spirit tells us somebody else, but I want to just, maybe they're thinking to change a little bit, think on the back of what Rob, the word Rob brought just now, and Jules shared it as well, is that we would invite people until we have somebody to bring. That makes sense. So it's not invite pers a, a person and hope they come, and if they don't, then oh well. Is we invite our friends or we invite people until we have somebody to come with us on Sunday, because if if this is a well of life, and if the truth has been preached here, and if Jesus is here, and we're feeding the sheep, do we not want to bring people to this? Do we not want to bring them into a relationship with Jesus? So maybe there, there's the one practical thing how this how this can work begin to work out is begin to bring people in, invite people. Don't stop until you've got somebody coming because like we sh sh throw out the net or ask people if they want to come to to relationship with Jesus, a salvation call, whatever you want to call it. That we're gonna do every week. But bring your friends. If they're not saved. Good chance they're going to get saved. <laughs> if they don't come, don't get saved the first time, maybe they'll get saved the second time. It's, well, we want to be known as a place that, that the gospel has been preached, the opportunity has been given, the truth has been preached. 